Welcome everybody to the Like a Dance Boss podcast. My name's Jess and I am your host. Today I'll be chatting with Nicole from Niche Dance Studios in Melbourne. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to let you know that Halloween is approaching and if you're looking for some ideas for your junior classes, then please send me an email chat at likeadanceboss.com.au. I have a free class plan for you that includes 10 song suggestions, five activity suggestions, and also a coloring sheet that you can share with your students. It's completely free. You don't need to pay. Please just shoot me an email and I can send that back to you. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, thank you so much for joining the Like a Dance Boss podcast, Nicole. I'm really excited to chat to you and hear more about your studio. I don't believe that we've really crossed paths, even though we're both in Melbourne. So I'm really curious to know more about your school. And I feel like this is a good little start um, to a new connection too with my studio and your studio. So tell us, who is Nicole outside of the studio? Who are you and what keeps you busy? Hi, thanks for having me. Well, my name's Nicole Davis. And as you've mentioned, I have Niche Dance Studios in Thornbury in Melbourne. Um, my studio is kind of my life. Like I live here. Um, with two are you there my, now? Yeah, with two of my sons. Yep. Yep. Um, so one's downstairs doing his homeschooling. The other one's off working. Um, I've got an older son as well who lives out of home, obviously. Um, yeah. I have a partner in Darwin, so that's kind of interesting. Oh, wow. Tell me more. Um, so we actually met at a friend's wedding in Bendigo. Uh, about five yep. So ago. somewhere that you, neither of you were from. <laughs> no, no. One of my best friends married one of his best friends and yeah, I don't know, just hit it off and started chatting. So, um, yeah, last year during COVID, I spent quite a lot of time up there. I sort of moved yep. up there for about five months. So I was Zooming in from Darwin. So wow. my voice, yeah, my voice came with me for a while. We did quarantine and then moved into his place. And, yeah, that was interesting. I didn't particularly like the heat, but I love it. I hate being cold. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you were free. Like, did it even feel like COVID was a thing up there in comparison to Melbourne? Probably not. No, no. It was like COVID didn't even exist to a degree. Like I would see the kids every afternoon, of course, and I, you know, they're all rugged up and yeah, I was just up there and I kind of, I tried not to make it too known that, you know, I could just go out and go out for dinner yeah. or whatever, because I just... And I didn't really post anything personal on social media because I didn't want to feel like I was rubbing it in, which sounds yeah. bizarre, that I was quite enjoying COVID. And yeah, it was such a hard time for so many people. Yeah, but now you're doing long distance. And yeah, well, I mean, we did long distance before. It's actually been harder this year just because the borders are shut. Um, yes. I did get to go up for the last lot of school holidays. So that was really nice. Yeah. Oh, that definitely sounds like a challenging aspect to your life aside from the studio. Um, I think, as you know, when you run a studio, you're just frantically busy a lot of the time. And so it kind of works. I don't have that pressure to be finished mm. at a certain time or have stuff wrapped up. And if I feel like working on a Sunday, I just can. Like I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I just quite free to do as I please <laughs> that's very true you're promoting it quite well now I feel like 
any listeners out there maybe doubting life might um try and move into state from there <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely not for everybody yeah yeah but, it works, but it it's works working for, for you and that's good mm. yeah that's really good and what was your dance journey like prior to opening a studio I'm assuming you danced as a kid and then what kind of led you to become a studio owner well I started dance at the age of three um yeah with Pat Little and I took over her school here in 1994. So interestingly, I told her when I was 13 that I was going to. Yeah. <laughs> prophecy, but um, yeah, I studied with her. I went to uh, Victorian College of the Arts when I was 12, but that was back in the day when you could actually continue at your own school as well. So I got, cause then it was very ballet focused. So I got to continue learning jazz um, and other styles with her uh as well as ballet and learning to teach like helping out with the little kids I always had a passion for teaching I've always yeah. loved um choreography and you know making up dances and that type of thing so yeah did you go full-time after year 12 or did you go straight into like teaching full-time well I started working professionally when I was 16 um doing cheerleading for like Carlton and things like yeah. that the industry was quite different back then like I used to work in a theatre restaurant and we'd do heaps of gigs on TV like you know Hey Hey and Ray Martin and all those type of shows um yeah but I did do full-time so I went to Dance Factory when I was 18 I had the scholarship there for a year so that was really good yeah just networking and meeting heaps of people and just doing gigs for about 10 years where was Dance Factory then? Because when I went, it was on Swan Street and then it moved to Church Street. Well, we started in Tanner Street. Uh, so oh, around okay. the corner, yeah, which got turned yeah. into apartments. So you had to walk up four flights of stairs. That was oh, God. Yeah. I mean, we had some fantastic teachers and, you know, just got a really broad sort of dance education. Yeah, no, that sounds really good. So how did it come about? that you took over the school did she advertise it for sale was it kind of an in-house hey Nicole do you want to take it I so I like I said I started I told her when I was 13 that I was taking over and I started um, <laughs> and then the contract was like <laughs> my my dibs um yeah so I was working for her assisting helping out with the little kids you know Saturday mornings as you do yeah. and then as I got older, I would get, I had my own classes. So I would teach sort of jazz classes. Uh, and then when she just wanted to retire, she actually moved up to Marimbula and my parents went as well. They all moved up there, retired. And I just, I was basically gifted it. I mean, there was a nominal fee, um, but yeah, I think she really thought she just wanted the legacy to continue. Yeah. A few years later, she told me that she actually didn't think that I'd be able to hack it. <laughs> and now look where you are. Uh, but you know when you're young and you've just got all the bravado in the world and you think that you're great at it and I think it's yeah. only as you get older that you get more self-doubt and become more humble and really yeah. appreciate the true gift that it is yeah so what was it like when you took over was it a different school to what it is now what was the name how many students were there so it was called patrician school of dance there were about 50 students and they all stayed which I was you know really grateful for I didn't lose any I mean I had been teaching there so um yep. the continuity was available to them um I don't know it just I mean it, 
it's completely different now because I mean, I think having a dance school is like thinking that you own a beach. You just don't like the sand constantly shifts with the student mm -hmm. base and the, the waves roll in and, you know, you just have to dodge curveballs all the time and um, it constantly evolves like a school is the students that are in it. And I think that you need to be adaptable and be able to manage that and to cater to your client base at the time and you know what yeah. your focus is at the time like over the 28 years that I've had it the um our focus has changed it sort of goes in seven year cycles and you know sometimes you lose the top end they all leave or like with COVID now we've lost all the babies so you just rebuild like you just have to yeah yeah constantly evolve with it so yeah. Do you feel that the goal you had when you first took over the school is still similar to your goal and values now or has yeah. that changed? No, it's definitely the core. My core values are the same. Like I've never done it for the money and I don't have a massive school. And yeah. to me, it's always the product. And I don't mean that I think of kids as products. I just mean that the training that you put on their bodies is your product. And I've always strived to maintain a high standard of that and yeah money yeah. can't always be you know if you need to run a class with three kids in it you need to run a class with three kids in it and they might have been there yep. for I don't know 10 years and you just do it and so yeah I yep. think of each class as a little separate entity and you know they have to make money um I kind of try to look at it uh, with a broader brush yeah you know that totally makes sense when did you do the name change and how did you decide on the name well, my first name change was when I took over. So she had Patricia and her name was Pat Little. So I felt like it really reflected her. Um, yeah. uh, so, and I wanted to build up numbers and introduce tap and like I don't know, just broaden the, um, the genre base a little bit. So I called it East Ivanhoe School of Dance. And oh, okay. Because I just found that really easy to promote in the area. We had quite a lot of yeah. primary schools around us. And yeah, so we built the school up like that. So that's when I was in, um, I started off in one church hall, then moved into another church hall. Then we've got three church halls. <laughs> like yeah. they were all in walking distance of each other. But yeah, that's how the school kind of grew. Um, and it grew to the point where my my lease or my the rent that I was paying in church halls was sort of comparable to commercial leases so yeah I feel like that's always the thing that comes up where studio owners make the move it's when they can see well yeah this amount of rent is the same as having my own home yeah well I think in hindsight it probably wasn't comparable because you don't really factor in <laughs> the extras the, all the extras um but I think it was just the right time for me. Like I could go back into my mortgage and, you know, finance the fit out and cause you know, that's expensive, especially when you're doing a space as large as what we were taking on. Uh, yeah. So I just, we moved, well, we only moved 2.3 kilometers away, but we changed suburbs. So it just yeah. never really sat well with me that I have had East Ivanhoe School of Dance in Thornbury even though yeah. it's practically Ivanhoe, but anyway. Um, yeah, so that was why the name change came. Um, we transitioned it um, with hindsight. I think it was actually quite clever. We did it as a concept. We had the program, the cover said East Ivanhoe School of Dance. You opened it out and it's like, we will now be known as Niche. And yeah, yeah um, we hadn't got uniforms for a while. So it was a good time to just be able to get yeah. new uniforms. And I mean, I guess I had been, putting off 
getting new uniforms because I we it was kind of in the pipelines where you know we were looking yeah. for a venue and stuff. So um yeah, no, the transition to niche was pretty easy. Um my marriage had broken down at the time and so the business was just mine and but we were, I was just working on my own and yeah um it kind of it was relative to my name I have yeah. teachers for every genre so and you can pick your niche like I don't know it just was the right time and the right word at the right time yeah no I love it so how long has it been niche uh 2013 became niche so okay nine. yeah so quite a while yeah yeah and what type of facility are you in now? So you is it like a factory and then you decked it all out with your studio spaces or? Yes. So it's about a thousand square meters. We've got four, wow. four studios. Um, I've got an apartment here upstairs. My boys have got um, space. One's on a mezzanine, one's downstairs. Um, oh, you literally mean that you live at the studio? Yeah, we live here. Oh, I thought you were just, you know, as dance studio owners, we live at the studio, you <laughs> no. know, because we're always here. <laughs> no, I live here. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually my flash dance dream. I don't know if you're you're probably too young to remember that movie. Uh, and she lived in that warehouse and, you know, could just dance whenever she felt like it. And, yeah, this was my dream to do this. So, yeah. so it's a, a warehouse type. Yes building and then how did you go with permits obviously council permits are really hard for dance um, studios to get in industrial areas but you well you might find it quite interesting that when we got when we um leased the premise I had to get a commercial lease you know and um permission yeah. to put the dance studio in here change of permit all that sort of stuff change of use uh but you could live here as a caretaker so oh that bit was easy yeah okay that's so good so the best part about living at your dance studio is that I walk upstairs when I finish work that I can run up and chuck the roast in the oven so it's ready <laughs> when I finish work <laughs> that's good yeah and what's the worst thing about living at your studio I don't have a worse thing the boys do. The boys find it a little frustrating when they're just trying to have downtime and there's a million kids running around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I mean, I'm working the whole, whenever the building's working, I'm pretty much working. So, yeah. Yeah. I love having everything here. And like, if we've lost something, we know that it's in the building, like a costume or a headpiece or whatever, it's here somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. If one of the kids forgets their leotard, I can just go grab one. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, yeah. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Um, and then, so going back to when you took over the school, you said there was only about 50 students and yeah. I'm a firm believer in numbers doesn't always mean success or anything like that, but yeah. ballpark, what type of numbers do you have at your studio probably before COVID would be a better understanding of, of your studio size? Yeah, it kind of, it ebbs and flows and I, um, but the maximum I probably got was maybe 180. Yep. Um, my philosophy has always been that I wanted to teach everyone that came in, which yep. as I had to keep reducing the styles that I taught, because when I first started, obviously, I used to teach more than I do now. Now I pretty much just teach ballet classes. I mean, I can carry any type of routine, but I just focus on the ballet and the ballet exams. Yep. Uh, so obviously, I'm not teaching the kids that come in for hip hop. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I always go and chat to them like they know who I am. And then as they walk past my studio, they'll wave to me. So I try to, it's a quite a small sort of intimate um, yeah. sort of school. Uh, yeah. So I get the feeling that those students are taking on a lot of classes, as in most students perhaps are doing multiple classes per week? Our main core student base does, yes. Yeah. Uh, so when we were at that sort of bigger stage, we had a lot more kids just coming in and doing one-off classes. Um, and then, so that was just kind of pre-COVID, like we were all in this really good trajectory. And then yeah. with COVID, we've kind of cut back to the really core group of kids that, yeah, do 10 hours a week. Yep. So you would say your school's focus is ballet and examinations or is it also performance opportunities? Do kids have agents? Do you do comps? Do you have adult students? I don't do adults. The kids can, um, well, because it's niche, we basically tailor programs. So yes to all of the things. <laughs> we do acrobatic exams. I've got Stacey. Okay. Mitchell here, who's, you might have had a dance factory. I had her at Dance Factory and at B, um, she works at BCAS as well, teaching acrobatics. So we have her acrobatic syllabus. Obviously I do Shaketi. Yeah. I'm quite heavily involved with Shaketi. Um, I've got, you know, TAP exams through ATOD. Yeah. Those as well. My son Max teaches those. Um, we do, a, the kids can do solo comps if they want to. So we offer private lessons and they can choose their style or they can choose their teacher or they have multiple teachers, depending yep. on how much, how many comps they want to do. Um, I have a squad class on a Friday night that I reintroduced. Like I kind of stepped back from comps with the whole dance mom Americanization sort of thing. I pulled a bit back and I, yep. yeah, I don't know. Comps, I have this love-hate relationship with comps, but we can talk about that later. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the kids can, we have a squad comp group that just does a couple of troops, like a two or three troops, and then we can do them around town. Well, not at the moment, but in the past. Yeah. yeah. Um, and solos. And then we, I pulled back from sort of doing a big school. I used to put like 26 troops into competitions. And that was kind yeah. of the main focus of our first semester. And so now we've changed that. We do a gala performance, which is super fun. The kids do it. Um, we have a dinner dance and the parents watch. The kids perform. There's three shows. They learn to dance in the round. All those sort yeah. of things that we did as, you know, professional gigs that just don't really seem to exist so much these days. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we teach them that sort of skill. We do... Um, solo performance, exam presentations, that type of thing. Yeah. So the year's quite busy still. Yeah, yeah, it definitely sounds busy, but good for the kids that who, you know, want to target certain areas or styles. And I do. I have the space. I have the staff. We can cater. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what about staff? Around how many staff do you usually have at any time? Do you have teachers and admin staff? I have about... 10 on staff so some are um, on wages some are contracted I have um, a an accountant bookkeeper that's off-site yeah highly recommend that to anyone that's you know running a business um because there's so much red tape these days um yep. I have a business manager 
who takes on invoicing and emailing and all that sort of communication stuff. I have an amazing graphic designer who does. Mm -hmm. Oh, your website. I had a quick look at your website before. It's amazing. I love it. Thank <laughs> you. So I can actually, because it's just a Wix site, like I know you do Wix sites too. So I yeah. actually can manage it to a degree, but yes, I have her sort of amazing eye. She's yeah. Um, yeah, incredible, can just take on my vision and make it, put it into pictures and make it even better than I imagined it. She does incredible yeah. programs and things for me. Um, I have one of the girls that works for me, um, my sort of second in charge teacher. She is incredibly tech savvy. Yep. So she handles all anything that I'm sort of going, I can't do it. I've broken the website. Uh, she'll just take it on and fix yeah. it in two seconds. Um, and then I've got staff for all those genres. So I'm sort of, you know, in head of, head of ballet. And I've also got, um, yeah, everyone working, just doing their own thing. And I try not to micromanage their classes. Like I think that um, I've employed them because I trust them. Yeah. And they, they're free to conduct their classes as they see fit and their style that works for them. So, yeah. It sounds like you've got a great network of staff. Like your business can just operate smoothly and with people excelling in their areas of expertise. They are extremely reliable and yeah. um, efficient and trustworthy and loyal. And yeah, I can't speak highly enough of them. So a lot of studio owners have said to me and will continue to say to me, I just need to find my team. I can't find my team. It's so hard to find teachers. How did you recruit such a good supportive team? Uh, I think I'm quite clear on what I want. I yep. don't necessarily think I'm a great boss. They tell me I am, but I, <laughs> I don't really, no, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Cause I don't they can't even like bitch about you after their shift because you're always there. No. We just chat after the shift. <laughs> Sometimes like, oh my God, you better go home. Um, I think we have a lot of mutual respect and friendship and yeah, years of um, contact and community. And that's what I build it. Yep. Like we actually have a community. Like I, I have my parents in, people like might gasp at that, but my parents are welcome and I was... I kind of really struggled at the when we came back last year and we weren't allowed to have parents in it felt like yeah you don't exclude anybody anyone can come and you know you were made to feel welcome and that's part of what niche is and yeah so that was a little hard but um yeah so the parents can just sit and watch and talk and so I feel like that they're just as much of our community yeah and they know the teachers and they can chat to the teachers and they know that the teachers know who their child is and you know yeah. I don't know it's just um yeah I just trust them so how are the parents watching do you have viewing windows or uh we have glass doors that for the entrances to the studios kind of like patio doors I guess <laughs> so yeah. it's funny they the chairs are all spread out along the corridor and then every Saturday you come in and see they've all like squish them together yeah <laughs> so, and they're like I don't know they grab a cushion and sit in front of the doors I've got this little cluster of parents sitting there and sometimes yeah. they're so loud the kids and I just have to turn around and glare at them yeah. <laughs> yeah to be quiet but I love that they love coming in like I 
you know, that's part of it. It was really quiet when they weren't here and I just had kids at the end of last year. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. And I think for me, the main reason why I had to get rid of most parents within my studio facility was car parking. We just simply didn't have enough car parking for everyone. So yeah. you may have a way around that, that where the rest of us don't have, I don't know. I'm pretty much in an empty street. Yeah. Yeah, like where it's a bit of a secret club. And I think, that's cool. you know, I, I, before COVID, I never, I hadn't advertised since you know, local papers were a thing. And I, yeah, just with the website and word of mouth, that's how we got people. And people would be like, oh, I've been trying to find you. And it's like, well, you did, you did it. <laughs> like, yeah. We're like trying to find us because we're really, yeah, tucked away in the back of Elkington-ish Ivanhoe. And I, so I'm looking at the street out there, it's just empty. And um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's what the, one of the things I'm struggling with most now is getting back into that whole, how do you rebuild again how do you advertise when I all my old strategies just are non-existent anymore yeah and also people are looking for different things families have a new perspective on life and what perhaps would have reeled them in you know two years ago may not reel them in this time yeah I found when we were sort of in that recovery period at the start of the year that they were coming in again because I you know, you didn't have that influx of from, you know, the start of February, like you would normally have, but yes, it was definitely the trickle was starting. And I, that whole word of mouth thing again around the area. Um, but yeah, then we just got shut down again. So I've got so many yeah. people going, when you go open again, we'll come back. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a really good thing happening. So hopefully once your students can return, then, you know, word of mouth will spread again and, you know, friends, family, School friends, so. school car park chats will happen, chats yeah. at the playground about who's going to niche and how can I join. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I truly believe that, you know, a good business obviously should market and advertise and promote. But I think, you know, if you're offering something great, the word will spread and, and people will come. Yeah. Build it and they shall come. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So do you offer a preschool um, program, like a purchased preschool program, or you have your own niche preschool program? Uh, I always teach the babies. I always have. Um, and so I developed my own baby sort of ballet program that's extremely effective and it leads exactly where I need it to lead to. Um, yes. Because we were trying to rebuild at the start of the year, I did sign up for um, Ready, Set, Dance, but then I don't, we, it hasn't worked just with the, the year that we've had um yep. I think it's a good program and it was kind of interesting to learn it and see how similar it was to what I developed over the years for yeah in terms of ballet yeah 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 it was a bit of a pat on the back maybe to be like oh well this is what other studio owners have designed and I was already doing it <laughs> yeah as, as like you know the the, the standard and you know all these early childhood developers had you know given their two cents worth it's like oh yeah yeah all right good did that yeah <laughs> but I think you hit the nail on the head before and that's my kind of view on preschool programs I don't think there is a preschool program that suits every school because you want it to lead and connect to that five-year-old age group so you know every school wants something different out of their students and yeah you need to make sure that it does link and prepare them for that yeah and I think I had, you know, obviously done research and spoken to fellow studio owners that recommended it and said, yeah, it does bring them in and it's a good program and, you know, yeah. advice, make sure you've got hip hop for the kids to go into and that type of thing. So I, um, yeah, I didn't go in, I, I mean, I invested money in it, um, 
I'm not sure if I'm going to do it next year. Yeah. Probably will. But, yeah, I haven't made up my mind 100%. I thought that the um, you'd get more uh, direct contact from the actual program, like people yeah. Googling the program, um, and I haven't found that. So I found that quite interesting. Well, I'm a preschool mum and I don't ever see anything to do with Ready, Set, Dance. Okay. So as a parent, I've never seen the show pop up. I've never seen the show. I've never seen anything online. So, yeah, it's an interesting point because that would be one of the benefits of being part of a program like that. And I'm sure there's plenty of kids and parents out there who are watching the show that's on TV and everything. Um, But, yeah, I don't know why I'm not being targeted. Yeah, interesting because you should be in the in the um Facebook. Yeah, type of I am. I'm. I should be their ideal market. <laughs> you know, mum of two year old who is always streaming the Wiggles. I should be. <laughs> I should be getting some more um you know advertising on my feed or something. It will now. It'll flash up on your phone because I know. Yep. Sorry to interrupt you there, guys. I just wanted to let you know that if you're stressed about planning this year's concert, please do not worry for one more second. On my website, likeadanceboss.com.au, you can find the ultimate concert checklist for dance studio owners. It's just $3.99 Australian and lists over 60 tasks that you need to check off before your big day. So don't stress any longer. Hop online, grab the checklist, and please make your concert prep so much easier easier and stress-free for your family and yourself. So what do you find the most challenging part of running a dance studio besides COVID? Yeah. Yeah. Um, good question. I think most challenging. Yeah, I think that I've the advertising thing, just um, yep. knowing, like I said, I tried the Ready, Set, Dance thing and it hasn't necessarily paid off. Uh, something I'm still trying to get right is the sort of graduation process. Like when those kids are in year 11 and 12, I find that unless they're sort of studying high-level ballet exams, they tend to drop off. And yep. um yeah, I don't know. Every year I try and get better at it and I talk to them and I ask them what they want. Um, I think from their feedback, I've gathered that they want me. Yeah. That connection to what I'm doing, which is hard because not all of them at that age want to be doing the ballet that I'm sort of teaching. So yeah. I do try and do a bit of sort of lyrical stuff for them, which is usually their favourite. Um, yeah. Mm, challenging. I just being ready to dodge, <laughs> just, I don't know, handle the day-to-day little problems that come up. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because your school sounds like a real magical school of unicorns at the moment. I'm <laughs> no. like, this sounds amazing. It sounds so great. The venue is so great. The teachers are so great. So, yeah, it's good to hear that you also have stresses and hopefully you you get emails that frustrate you and parent comments that frustrate you and hopefully a staff member calls in sick at the last minute. (laughs) (laughs) 
occasionally. Uh, there was one funny story where Max is like, Mom, I can't work. I'm like, just get your butt to work. <laughs> and yeah. my other son's like, Mom, Max is upstairs vomiting in the toilet. Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, felt really bad. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, all the other staff just rock up. So yeah. I thought he was pulling the mum card, but no, he was really sick. Um, okay. We have... We generally, you know, have a an assistant in each class. So if the teacher's running late or something goes wrong yeah. or someone's kid splits their head open, they can just go home. Like they just walk yeah. out. It's fine. We just deal. Um, no, it's not all unicorns. Um, you know, you've still got the why isn't my child in the front? Um, yeah. All that type of thing. But I, my communication style with the school is... I guess from my life experience, I've learned to be um, give, have positive conversations with people, and yeah, you know that if there is an issue, you need to. I need to know. Like, I don't want you to let it fester. And I've, you know, I've kicked out parents in the past. I've never kicked out a child. <laughs> I've never kicked yeah, out parents, and because I feel there's a few times prior to the times that I've done it where I should have done it because it just it's this cancerous thing and it festers away and it creates problems and yeah I think that just um getting older and braver and yeah more okay with okay that I'm losing a client but what am I gaining like you yeah sit out a little bit more so when you say you've only ever kicked out a parent, not a student, do you mean that the student can still attend, but the parent is no longer oh, no, allowed no, in the school? No. You just mean that you kick out the parent and then the child therefore has to go? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. Um, and so what about work-life balance? Do you feel like, are you happy with the amount of time that you work and the amount of time that you don't or...? I like to be busy yeah and I have learned that it's okay if I'm going to work 14 days straight that's okay I can get up in the morning and I can start work at 6am and work through until nine when I finish or whatever and that it's not forever that yeah if I want a day off I just take it um that I'm lucky enough to be able to have school holidays so I don't feel compelled yeah. to run holiday programs I'll recommend them to the kids that want to do them. We'll go through what they want to get out of a holiday program and I'll recommend other ones outside external ones that they go and do. Um, so yeah. yeah, I do have, I have downtime. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and your thoughts on dance comps. You said you have a love hate relationship. Yeah, as do I, I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. I grew up doing dance comps and I love them and I had a great childhood and I, I didn't always win. Like I wasn't particularly good. I, I don't reckon I was any good until I was about 13 or so. Like, yeah, I was never particularly unlucky, but not, you know, that aggregate winner kid all the time. Um, it's, it taught me so much and I've got great friends from it. And when I started working professionally, it was with all the kids that I'd done comps against, you know, um, mm. the kids here that do comps, we try and tell them that they're not competing against each other, that they're representing us and, you know, that I, have given them all the best curry that I can and we just hope that the adjudicator appreciates one of them or you know that yeah and it's going to be a different person each day I I find it frustrating that there's so many adjudicators that aren't 
um, trained. Like, um, you know, there's not many qualifications that you can do, but um, when you're judging, you know, classical ballet and you've done maybe three years of it at full time, I just, yeah. yeah. So I try and pick the comps that we do based yeah. on who's adjudicating. Um, which I think comps are kind of responding to. I think that they are now getting more um, genre-specific yeah. adjudicators, um, which I think is good. Um, I The last comp I adjudicated was in Morwell, and I you know, was sitting there, and sure, I can adjudicate anything, and I, I'm watching some fabulous work and some fabulous troops, and it's like you're swiping left, you know? Like I... <laughs> You go, oh, you dropped a towel. Oh, that was a bit off. Like you're just sitting there being so negative about something that's incredibly yeah. good and these talented kids, you know, giving you their all and you're just going, no, no, no. And I, yeah, yeah, I'd really love to just be able to sit there and appreciate it. Yeah. 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 So what would you do if you didn't do comps? Like for me, I love, I loved comps, as you said, for similar reasons, but recently I don't love comps as much but I do love those days out where the kids and I are a team and where they're on stage and they're bonding and it's just hard to replace those opportunities with other things like we do have some local performances and I know that we could take a group to VDF or things like that but yeah what are your thoughts on alternatives for dance comp opportunities? Um, I think keeping the kids busy and making sure they've got cool Corey to do and that they're excited about the performance they're about to do. Mm. Um, one thing I've said to them about being, you know, dancing in their living rooms, they've definitely learned how to do a fate, how to make that routine smaller. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I think if they, I still send them out to do comps and I, I don't know, just make community events and have that a lot of them don't really understand what it used to be like so they're not yeah true what they're missing um I just felt like when I was doing 26 troops that the pressure that I was putting on families was immense like with the cost of the costumes because you can't have dodgy costumes like you just couldn't you had to be competitive and the parents wanted to be competitive so they were on board but you know it was every school holidays and it was the extra rehearsals and if there was a long weekend you'd put call them all in and yeah I don't know I just I think it was a bit of that work-life balance as well you know taking water skiing (laughs) instead of sitting in a dark theater Um, yeah 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 true sitting in a dark theater definitely has its downfalls that's for sure I also um my youngest son went and competed in Germany tap dancing and that was like being on in that world environment with the flags up and the medal presentations and stuff like it just seemed so much more validating than yeah your local dance comp so I found yeah that was well you can't suggest international competitions to me we're not even allowed out of no (laughs) yeah they got shut down Mm. yeah Yeah, I think it still exists I think they're doing it online but yeah it was a fabulous experience that's really cool Mm. yeah it'd be fun to look into stuff like that um and social media what are your thoughts on social media do you use it to grow your studio do you use it to connect to your students do you dislike it because of its influence on your students 
I'm still trying to navigate it. <laughs> I, yeah. I love it from a design perspective. Like I'm a vis very visual person. So I like creating posts when I've got time. I try and do a social schedule, which I'm terrible at keeping. Um, yeah. I'm extremely picky about the content that I put on something. Like if it's technically bad, I, I can't post it. Like I just, if there's a dodgy sickle foot, it just hurts my head. Um, yeah. So I struggle with that side of it. I love the kids posting it and I, I love, you know, I share anything that they tag me in. I <laughs> just, yeah, I think that the world has got much smaller through it. And I think it's wonderful that they can do workshops and classes from around the country, you know, and I can Zoom yeah. in friends that live in Sydney to teach a masterclass and yeah. That's, I mean, that's not really social media, that's just technology. But, um, yeah, I think Facebook groups are really good for communication. Like I can yeah. really quickly access our community, like, you know, throwing up yeah. a post. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to learn it. Yeah. I mean, I'm studying other things. I'm studying ballet history and stuff. But, yes, I'm also studying social media. So, I don't know. It's... I've, just look at it well it's always evolving too so yeah. no matter what you learn and study oh. now like everything will change in a month's time so my 17 year old's like you've got to be on tiktok i'm like oh my god i can't even do instagram and you want me to be on tiktok i thought that too i was like oh i have to be on tiktok because kids love tiktok and it's cool but then i realized that i was spreading myself too thin and there's yeah. no point being on every platform and not really nailing any of them yeah, um, so um, the girl that I was talking about before, my little, my little tech genius that I have, she says that I'm wasting my time on Instagram, that my my market is on Facebook still. So every time I yeah. post on Instagram, I share it to Facebook or they're just like linked. But um, I feel like the, I connect with the kids through Insta and the parents yeah. through Facebook. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, the, I don't know. I'll let you know when I figure it out. <laughs> Please do. Um, my last question, we won't go too deep, but how are you going with COVID and the effect of COVID on your studio? So we kept our core group of students. Yeah. And they have flourished because we took the, um, last year I didn't actually have a concert venue because our theatre got pulled down the year before and um, just pre-COVID, you know, obviously in that sort of February, March, I was trying to find a venue and I'd found a couple and I had tentative bookings, but I wasn't really happy with them. And so there wasn't the pressure to have a concert for us. Yeah. Um, so the kids focused on their exam work. Uh, term four, last year we started working. We picked up our gala that we'd been working on yeah. in February before we went into lockdown. Um, so we picked that back up again. Um, to give the kids some fresh stuff to be learning, uh, which was interesting having to then learn how to teach Corey on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, but we managed it and they're little Zoom masters, these guys. Uh, it was funny when um, we first went online, Liana, my tech master, she's like, you've got to do Zoom. I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I can't do it. You know, I my, all of my teaching is connected to what I see in a room and, but anyway, because it went, we went into lockdown two weeks before the end of term, I had, everyone had paid their fees and I had allocated the money to wages and rent and all that type of thing. Mm. So refunds were really, you know, out of the question. So I had to go on Zoom. And yep. like the first time I logged on and all these kids were there, I just burst into tears. Like I just was so happy that they'd engaged and 
yeah, I'm just so grateful for it. Like it's not, um, it's not ideal, but yeah. imagine if this had have happened 10 years ago. Yeah, true. Or if we taught swimming, you know, I, I have little girls that I'll say, oh, you've got school holidays now, you're excited. And they're like, no, I want to just keep seeing you. And it's like, oh, yeah. Because oh, I can't sweet. swim and I can't do this and I can't do that. And it's like, at least I can do ballet. So, yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I've had a few questions about vaccinations. And like I said before, at the start, we're inclusive. So I'm not going to say you can't come here if you're not vaccinated unless the government tells me I have to. But I've sort yeah. of spoken to those parents and I've said, you won't be allowed in the venues. Like it's out of my control. I can control my yeah. venue, but I can't. If the theatre says you you can't go in because you're not vaccinated, you can't go in because you're not vaccinated. I have yeah. no um, jurisdiction then there. I've also got feedback from people just saying, well, no one's expecting you to have the answers. We appreciate that you're giving us a plan, and yeah. but we understand that it can change. Like yeah. I got my term date, my, um, you know, save the date sheet and just went, it was just so <laughs> full of black lines. I just ripped it up. Yeah. So yeah, we started yeah. from scratch. So I think, yeah, like, do we have from pre previous experience a bit of anxiety when we think about parent reactions where I think parents have changed? Like a lot of parents are a lot more understanding now. They understand that our plans may not go ahead, that we don't know what we're doing. We're running blind. Yeah. But yeah, maybe just from past experience, we're all a bit scarred and we're like, oh, no matter what happens, the parents can yell at us. <laughs> I think we've had to really change because as dancers, you're just taught from ever, like from the age of three, I've been taught that the show must go on. Yeah. Like, if you're sick, you go on. Like you just, yeah. and now 2020, 2021, you found out that no, the show doesn't always have to go on and you will be okay. And you know, I just hope that it all comes back to some sort of, nice performance and we're all wiser and nicer for it yeah I think we will but we did think this this time last year <laughs> yeah. all right well I will let you go because you have your class to plan and teach but thank you so much for the chat it was so interesting finding out about your studio really okay <laughs> sure. yeah no well I I didn't know too much at all I quickly looked at your website and was like oh I love this website um, but yeah, it's fascinating to hear that you, you live at your studio, that you bought the studio and how it's evolved since then, your philosophies. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your time. That's okay. See you, Nicole. All right. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Like a Dance Boss podcast. Don't forget, if you'd like to share your dance studio owner journey story with me and all of our listeners to please get in contact, you can find me on the Like a Dance Boss Instagram, Facebook, or website. I would love to hear from you.